Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching the WeVA podcast. I could not be more excited about our next WeVA podcast. We're hosting Nils Reimers again on the WeVA podcast to discuss all sorts of things about AI and search. Uh, sort of last time when we uh, did our first WeVA podcast, Nils, we were uh, presenting the Cohere multilingual embeddings models. And we similarly have a really exciting integration to announce with WeVA and the Cohere re-rankers. So, you know, I, I love kind of having this the new update about Cohere and Weaviate, as well as diving into all these academic topics with you, because I just think you're one of the world's leading scientists on search, and it's just so much fun exploring these things with you. So firstly, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Um, exciting times, as I don't know, probably like half a year ago, I was here um, talking about multilingual. So semantic search is just amazing for multilingual setups, so especially as a European um, it's it's nice to see work outside of English be done. And yes, yeah, super happy to talk today more about ReRank. Uh, challenges in semantic search everyone faces at some point and yeah, solutions for that. Yeah, I, I love that first podcast, how we, you know, describe this kind of evolution from building the sentence transformers library to now at Cohere and how your evolution and thinking about the maintaining of this data set kind of we discuss like this kind of closed source versus open source model kind of category. And we had these big topics around like, how do you handle distribution shift? What's the state of sparse vectors and the future of that? So can we maybe kind of uh, kick this podcast off with the Cohere re-rankers sort of what goes into that and maybe for like WeVA users listening, like, yeah, sort of like what they can expect from adding this to their search? Yes, yeah, so um, so recently, like a couple of months ago, we launched a new model, a re-rank model, uh, which is like a super cool thing. So there's still a lot of people who sadly don't use VV8, who are like stuck on like old lexical search systems, <laughs> uh, sometimes proprietary where they are not able to change. And with ReRank, um, what you do, the, the API looks really simple. You put in the query, you put in like a collection of documents, top 100, top 1,000 documents. And it's, as the mention, as the name says, it does a ReRank. So you'd give in 1,000 documents, and then it spits you out like which documents are the most relevant one. So, so this is like super easy to add for anyone who's not yet on VV8, who's stuck <laughs> with like old solar implementations or external APIs that I need to use. But also in, in, in VV8 itself, um, it makes really sense to do both. So do like semantic search with embeddings, um, get the top 100, top 1000 out of like embedding search and put it into a re-rank. Um, so, so as talked previously and, and in many other settings, there are certain challenges in semantic search uh, with embeddings, mm. um, which we'll also talk later more about uh, Looking forward to that. So, so one challenge semantic search and embeddings have is like really complex queries. So, so if you mm -hmm. have like multiple facets where you say, give me, um, I want to know the information how Google employees changed in Europe mm -hmm. between 2010 and 2015. So at some point it's like really hard for, for embedding models um, to, to get the, produce the right embedding. So, so it's like basically mm -hmm. embeddings are like shooting in the dark. Um, <laughs> so, so it doesn't know like which information do you have in your vector database. Um, out of your search query, it does like a shoot in the dark and then hopes that mm -hmm. there are like 10 documents which are close by giving you the information how Google employees changed, number of employees in Europe changed in 2010 to 2015. 
Um, ReRank is, is really well on these types of queries. So, so it uses different type of technology um, where it looks at all the documents you provide in, like all the 100 documents you, you provide, and then makes a decision based on these 100 documents, okay, which one is the most, um, yeah, yeah, the best for your query. So it's not like a shoot in the dark. I produce the embedding mm -hmm. and then I hope to get the top top 10 uh, with the information. I'm really understanding, reading all these documents you provide in, like in the top 100 list, and then telling you, okay, these are like the top 10 documents uh, with the most relevant information. And so what we see is like really strong boost in search quality, especially on complex domains complex queries where you have like multiple aspects or so not like a simple fact, like who's the founder mm. of Facebook, but okay, here's like a really complex query, like, okay, which tech company was a large exposure to Europe reported a revenue increase of at least 20% over the past year. So, so if you have like these really complex queries, um, we rank is extremely excellent on that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing kind of that separation of, you know, complex queries, like when do you need to use re-ranking? I find that all very interesting. Kind of, yeah, just, just from the beginning of like, you know, you retrieve your candidates with BM25 and then you re-rank them or with vector search. I, I always love, we had like this illustration early when we first started looking into ranking models. It's like thinking about it like a fishing boat where you cast like a big fish net into the ocean and then you get like a thousand fish onto the boat. And then the fishermen on the boat are like looking for the green fish within the fish and I always love that angle because it shows like how the ranking models are like more accurate, but slower. And I feel like that's, you know, but you're adding a really interesting extra dimension that there are some particular kinds of queries, like the multi-discourse thing where you have this kind of funky query that you would really need to have that high precision, you know, document and query as input. I guess, yeah, I think we can really dive into this topic of ranking generally and what ranking means in search. But quickly, I kind of want to understand a little more about the training of the ranking models at Cohere, is this like kind of the same data set used to train the embeddings, but you train a classifier instead of an embedding model? Is that a correct understanding? Uh, yeah, it's, it's similar based um, on similar data sets. So last year we spent a lot of time to, to get like a big data set in many languages. So got like roughly a billion question answer pairs in English, half a billion in non-English languages. <clears throat> And then, yeah, this this is the basis for the embedding model and also like for the re-rank model. So, so based on these vast amount of questions people have, have asked and answered <laughs> in the past, the model luckily yeah, knows a lot about domains, like really long tail about, yeah, the, the weirdest subtopics you can find on the internet. And and yeah, really gets this knowledge, which, which make them extremely powerful. Yeah, I, I love that conversation topic of how you think about curating this data set. Obviously, you know, one of your earlier works with the sentence transformers and, you know, we're getting a billion pairs together that had really inspired my interest into this whole kind of cat. I think that was just a huge evangelist for all this. So it, quickly, you mentioned like long tail and, you know, I remember that one billion pairs, it had like Reddit, Stack Overflow. How are you currently thinking about that data set aggregation? I'm sure like for listeners, understanding how Cohere would think about something like this is a really interesting part of it. Yes, so, so one challenge was in the field in general is um, how quickly is the knowledge getting outdated? So hmm. we're producing like new 
new words, new product names, new company names, new events, games, movies, and so on. So, so this is like a general, like a challenge. Um, it's hitting especially hard the embedding models. So, so as mentioned, embedding models is like shoot in the dark. So, so you have like one shot. You hope to produce the right embedding without like having a lot of possibilities mm -hmm. to compare results. And so they are like really, really um, subjective to, to these issues. So if there's not something new happens, um, they are not aware of. And a lot of embedding models, they, they are trained on like old data, like MS Marco from mm -hmm. 2016 with mm -hmm. a BERT model, which was also trained on like 2017, 2018 data. So if you ask the models anything about Corona, um, still thinks Corona is, is a nice beer, a nice Mexican beer. And then if you, if it asks, if you ask like, okay, what are the symptoms of Corona? It will say, okay, you got hangover and, and drunk by it. Um, so, so, so that's like really, really challenging for the embedding model. Um, so here you wouldn't need like constantly updated information, uh, which is like hard in terms of deployment. Mm -hmm. Because you you need to re-encode your like all your vector database. So so if you go in like a billion scale, this this becomes like really slow and expensive. And um, for the re-ranking model, as you mentioned, it's like this fisherman and say, okay, um, look at the fish. Uh, look like okay, where where's the green fish? Um, these are a lot more robust in terms of like mm. this domain shift, out of knowledge, out of time. So here you don't need to to update them as often. And also the, the update is much easier. So, so with embeddings, if you update the embedding model, you need to re-encode your whole vector database, which is slow and expensive and painful if you have like mm -hmm. a billion embeddings. But the re-rank model, you get just like one API call on top of the top 100 results you get from the vector database. So it's like really easy to, to update, to switch it. And yeah, so, so here we were aiming to have like always up-to-date knowledge um, in these models. Yeah, that is a super powerful point, the robustness of the ranking models. And I hope yeah, people listening know that, yeah, you, you know, that that kind of that problem of updating either the Corona example is perfect. I, don't, I won't even add anything to it, but, but just that kind of continual learning problem and understanding that the cross encoders, the way they attend to the query and the candidate documents, it makes them more robust to, I mean, we, I think we were all seeing this zero shot ability of models. And so it kind of brings me, I, I kind of want to talk broadly about ranking models. I understand that like, you know, a lot of ranking models use kind of symbolic features as well. Like say it's like Google search, it probably has like, you know, some information about me, like, you know, I'm 27, I'm a male <laughs> and it will use these features as well as kind of the content and the like the query content as well as these symbolic features. And you maybe give that to XG Boost and there's some new work that's showing how you can maybe uh, prompt LLMs with these kind of features. Do you think about those kind of features in in these kind of systems? Yes. So, so this is still kind of like a big challenge, big issue with semantic search. Um, for semantic search queries, they work nice. If I ask like, what's the average lifespan of a cat? I search <laughs> over Wikipedia, I, I find the information. <laughs> But if I search, like, um, let's say on iTunes, Spotify for um, updates on AI, like I want to listen to like some cool podcast updates on AI. Um, mm -hmm. If you just search on the text bar, on the text field, you, you might find like a show which has like, yeah, updates on AI. 
but this show might be from like 2015. It might be really poorly rated, like one out of five stars. <laughs> and then there's like another show, which is like, I don't know, like a week old, uh, really highly rated, but the name is like, not like updates AI, but like, I don't know, weekly digest in machine learning. Um, you as a user would prefer like the recent one, the popular one, the highly rated one, or like the old one. And, and so this is like a big limitation. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of people, what they do is like XGBoost um, or learning to rank. So basically in the most simple form, um, you, you have like some semantic match from either like re-rank or embeddings. Uh, you have like a score on recency, you have a score on popularity, and then you do like a linear interpolation and say, okay, I don't know, 50% is semantic match, uh, 30% is, is um, recency and 20% is popularity. And then you play around with the three weights to give you like the final ranking. Um, in, in general, um, it's not really fun to do this. Um, it's not really, really brittle. <laughs> So you mm. spend a lot of cycles to play around with these three weights. Uh, like, okay, it's recency, should it be like 10%, 20%, 50%. If you just put like recency too high, only the, <laughs> the most recent podcast will show at the top. If you put like popularity too high, only the most popular are shown. Even mm. if you like, I don't know, do like a really niche query, long tail query, where it's okay, I'm really interested in these ones. Uh, tiny podcasts, uh, you're not able to find it. And then you try to balance it between these three factors. <clears throat> and so, yeah, so I think there's a lot of potential here to, to make it better. Uh, while we're also like working on it, mm -hmm. like rethinking, like how can you um, yeah, learn these as part of the model? Yeah, I think um, like if I can, um, yeah, just kind of continuing on the potential of this, I think, you know, having the LLM and prompting it where you get each search result is like a JSON dictionary and the keys are like content and then the text content and another key might be, you know, date published is probably a good example when you want to sort by recency and sort of as you can just prompt the LLM to like, you know, please, uh, you know, re-rank these, but prioritize recency, you know, but like not at the cost of if it's not relevant, like that kind of soft fuzzy prompt in it. And it's still able to kind of interpret that. And I think the distillation of the LLMs into the Cohere re-rankers for that particular task. I, I love that topic of like distill LLMs into some specific task. And I think the ranking is just the perfect, perfectly set up for this. So I think this would actually transition really nicely as we come into our academic topics to talk about temporal queries and how you're thinking about that. Yes, yeah, so temporal queries. Um... It's a challenge. So, so it's like really a lot of people go go into like semantic search. So, so you see a lot of people really testing around. And yes, yeah, sadly, embeddings itself, they don't have like a temporal understanding. Hmm. So let's say you have your email inbox, you, you search for at which time is my flight going? And then with semantic search, you, you get the information, hey, your flight is going uh, 5 p.m. on August 4th, 2010. So it's fetching you like an email that's 10 years old. Um, mm -hmm. Because yeah, for, for the embedding, there's like no temporal notion in it. So, mm -hmm. so if, if there's an email from 2010 that has exactly your words, hey, your flight is scheduled at 5 p.m., it will find and show you this result. So, so what... What you often have in search is like these, yeah, not not these implicit expectations or assumptions from users. 
So if I search for at which time is my flight going, I want to know like probably the next flight. So something today, tomorrow, this week. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for like my next flight that's going. Mm. In e-commerce, you often have it when I search for shoes. Um, there's like a lot of shoes on Amazon, but yeah, <laughs> it makes a difference. Am I a man, a woman? Uh, am I like, what's my age? Uh, do I have kids? Do I have like a son or a daughter? And then what age are, are my kids? And then depending on these, um, it makes a difference. So maybe I'm looking for my uh, shoes for my daughter who's like two years old. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so maybe I put just kids shoes in and in the best case, it shows me like, um, shoes for uh, girls, two years old. Uh, but yeah, this, this is not in the query, this somewhere mm -hmm. outside. And so it's a fascinating problem, um, how to encode this where yeah, semantic search with, with embeddings hitting certain limits. So, so in the embedding space, you, you can't have like these temporal relation and then yeah, people start to hack around and say, okay, um, semantic match 80% recency, 20%, uh, try, try to use thresholds. Let's say, okay, find all emails, um, at which time is my flight going? So find all emails with a threshold above 0.7 and then rank them based on recency. So like a lot of hacks and tricks mm -hmm. going on in the space to, to really go from like a shiny demo to an actual production use case. Hmm. Yeah, I have kind of a, a couple perspectives on this temporal queries thing. I think, like, for I think it's also quite heavily related to kind of filtered vector search, and for people to understand that you do the HSW graph traversals, and you have this like allow like one way that we do it in VBA. There, I could I could go on about these things, but I probably save that for later. But like, you'd have an allow list of nodes that match the filter IDs, and so like date greater than July fifth could be like one of the criteria on that lets you traverse the embedding proximity graph. But I think there are quite a few things to this. The first is like, like there's kind of like an emerging category of startups around like metadata extraction from unstructured text chunks. So we had Brian Raymond from Unstructured on the podcast. Yesterday, I listened to Doc Yugami present at Llama Index and there's Chima, Langchain, Llama Index. They also have like these data loaders. And so like using language models or I think kind of like, especially talking to Nils Reimers, like LLMs, we, we both kind of understand these just mean like deep learning models. It doesn't necessarily have to be like 200 billion parameters to do the task, but like training specializing models on extracting metadata that you can then label each year text chunks with the date that if it's captured in that, which that's why I really like the example you just presented and it added a new perspective is when you have that query that's like, you know, I need flights for tomorrow. You, I guess you need to have some kind of query understanding layer in the middle of that. Do you, and so that makes me ask you, would, is that the next Cohere uh, model integration that we'll be doing is the, <laughs> the query in, intent? Uh, yes. Uh, so if you search for which time is my flight going tomorrow, um, you, you, you need to, to in mm -hmm. some, some integration. Um, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of like metadata extraction. So mm -hmm. because then you're kind of like limited to like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, which metadata do you have? What do you extract? Um, does it mm -hmm. match with like the the um, the thing you you have when we have something like um, at which time is my flight going tomorrow? Like finding the right email is kind of challenging. So so it's mm. not like the most recent email you got was flight information because this could be a flight somewhere in the future. 
Mm. It's probably not an email which is like 10 years old, uh, but mm. it can be somewhere in between, like somewhere in between like one year and, and yesterday. So it's like really, really hard to express this as hard filters or as SQL where you say, okay, give me, I don't know if I ask like, at which time is my flight going, find all the flights, emails I got, and then sort them by recency and pick the most recent one. Mm -hmm. um, so, so here we're currently developing yeah, smarter ways, a new foundation model in search. Um, where mm. we don't have to do like the tricks with metadata filtering and going from unstructured data to structured data and then use some <laughs> language like SQL or whatever, mm. or however you express your filters and your ordering, mm. uh, but really do it like in the model itself. Um, because I mean, mm. it's, it's always appears a bit absurd for me that we have like LMs and we take LMs to transform unstructured data to structured data to then be able to search, to search on it. Mm. So why not like directly use it in the LMs um, and be able to do let them do the job and, and yeah, extract what's needed and then tell me, okay, what, what's done there? Yeah, I, I think, um, I guess there's, there's kind of, I have two kind of reactions to this. The first of which is there's kind of like, filters that are like totally unrelated to the content. So like, it, it, like if I have a, you know, shoes again, and it's like how many of them are in stock, there's like no way of having the embedding, <laughs> know how many I have in my store kind of. So I, I kind of see like that component to filters, but then again, like how an LLM or whatever metadata extraction model similarly would not be able to derive that. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it yeah, it's very interesting. I guess I, I probably would just need more time to see it all play out to have a, a, a strong opinion of my own about this. But I agree with you that like if the LLM can extract the metadata from the chunk itself, then you probably also could capture it in the embedding and there probably is something to that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they, these metadata filters, they are nice in e-commerce. We see them like on the mm -hmm. left bar, we have like a sidebar where you can filter on the price, where you can filter like the brand, the color, the size. <laughs> um, here, it's always like a question. It's like, yeah, you always have like these hot filters where I say, mm. okay, give me anything. I don't know, like some item, let's say a smartphone that's below, like, I don't know, anything below $500. <laughs> and then I have like a really hot filter that's like anything below $500. But what's the case if there's like a smartphone perfectly fitting what I want? So, so I was like looking for Christmas for a new smartphone. It should be like small so that it fits well in my pocket. Camera quality was important. Battery lifetime was important. I didn't want to spend more than $500, but these $500 is like kind of like a soft limit. So mm. if it costs like $501 and it's like the perfect phone, yeah. I, I take it also if it costs like $550 or $599, I say, yeah, it's, it's so much better than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I would buy it. And, and so, so I think this is at least what I see and vision like long-term that we can get rid of these filters and just phrase it as a search query where I say, okay, I want a smartphone, um, should be small enough to fit into my pocket. Um, should have like good camera quality, good battery lifetime, and I don't want to pay more than $500. And then the model can decide itself and see, yeah, here I got like a phone, um, got really highly rated, good feedback reviews on users. The size is like really small, so, so it's, it's, it's a tiny phone. Um, 
but it costs five hundred twenty dollars. But I think yeah, five twenty, it's good, good enough. Mm. And and are you willing to to go like twenty dollars mm. over your budget? I say yeah, perfect phone. I'm willing to to do this. Yeah, it, it, this reminds me back to our original conversation on ranking models, where I could have yeah, like that that like boost filter is kind of like what I like talking calling it, and we get discussions of like what an API would look like, but like. Yeah, like, you know, please rank it higher if it's less than $500, but, you know, you don't need to be so strict about it. <laughs> and that kind of thinking about how you do the iPhone. Um, yeah, like, um, I, I guess it kind of also re reminds, like, it's this topic again, it's very similar to the LLMs extracting metadata is the ranking models. It's like, if the ranking models can do it, then can the embedding models do it as well? But I think, like, having that symbolic control, it just makes it so much easier, right? I guess one other idea, there's this paper called NHQ, which is like you would have embeddings for each of the filters as well. And maybe you could have like a multi-vector ranking thing where you have the pooled vector for the entire, you know, Amazon iPhone, this iPhone that we're talking about, this the, the description of it. And then you also maybe have like vectors for each of the labels. And so it's still kind of like embeddings sort of, uh, yeah, may, maybe that kind of thing. But so I think kind of I, I kind of did want to stay a little more on your skepticism of the metadata extraction with language models, because I think it ties to another one of you know the topics that we've premeditated is like um, I find it very related to kind of chunking and long document representation, because I feel like what happens is um, your motivation to extract metadata. A lot of the times it's because you're like parsing a PDF and, you know, it's like a semantic category like, you know, it's there's only 100 tokens in this part of the document, but like for a reason, it's got like a title, like uh, this is like this uh, legal clause. And then here's like another one, right? Like, so, so yeah, so maybe if we could kick it off with your perspectives on long document representations, and then maybe we could see if we can tie that back to this kind of extraction topic. Yeah, so, so I mean, for now, metadata extraction, it gets the, the things done, like in many cases. Mm. So, so just say like long-term, like, I don't know, five, mm. 10 years, I don't envision the field that we're still go take an LLM, extract metadata, put it into like some relational database, but like, yeah, find ways how we can do it directly. But yeah, to the topic, long documents, um, yeah, long documents are challenging in, in embedding mm. search. Um, for a long time, um, sequence lengths has been a challenge in transformer models like BERT, it's like 512 tokens. Um, this this got recently fixed with like longer uh, sequence lengths, um, like like Llama two, where we have now yeah, open source models up to like thirty two k, um, but it's sadly not solving it for embeddings or search. Um, so so yeah, you can deploy it, but the quality of all these models is is terrible. And the issue is that embeddings can encode like one one topic at a time, so they can store like one fact. So so let's say like the founder of a company and can encode the like Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook. Mm. Um, but they, they struggle if you have like multiple facts, like let's say you have like a long list of all US equities. So there are like 2000 or more uh, US equities right now so with, with the founder information. It's like, okay, should I encode it like at Facebook or Google or at Amazon or Nvidia? Um, so, so you get somewhere some strange embedding in the middle, uh, which is, has nothing to do with the specific information. Um, so, so what you need to do is like take the long document, um, break it down into individual facts. Mm. And that's the first challenge. Um, like, how do I know, okay, this is like a new topic. 
So I'm, am I still with the old topic talking about Mark Zuckerberg and then founder of Facebook? Or is it the new topic about Bill Gates and how he founded Microsoft? Um, so, so that's one challenge. Second challenge is contextualization. Um, so you, you might have like a header and then, you know, okay, this, this paragraph is, um, belongs to the header. So, so for example, in Envoy reports, you have Apple Envoy report 22nd. Uh, in the text itself, it never mentions Apple. It always mentions we or our company. <laughs> and it also doesn't mention 2022nd anymore. It says our, our company saw a lot of growth this year. And then the question is like, okay, who's like our company? Who's like this year? And so here, decontextualization approaches are, are kind of interesting where you take the long document and you decontextualize it. So if you have a paragraph like our company saw a lot of growth this year, you rewrite it to Apple saw a lot of growth in 2020. Hmm. Um, and then also to, to look at like, okay, can we split it into like individual topics, which hmm. we can then encode as paragraph in the vector database. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I love that. Uh, it, it just, I just had the light bulb go off, <laughs> but like, you know, I love this idea of like, well, we're kind of trying to call these generative feedback loops where you use some kind of generative model to like kind of alter the data that is indexed in the database or, or just save for any reason kind of, but this particular case of like, you know, like something I love is this, the summary index where you take like, you know, these podcast clips and say, I'm stuttering like, uh, right. And, and it kind of would compress that into a summary of the content that I say, and then you embed that summary. And I love that. I think it's a really clever way to build uh, better search indexes. And as you mentioned, disambiguating, you know, our company means Apple that, that to me, that sounds like another kind of like generative feedback loop, use a generative model to uh, fix the data there. So, so then there were kind of two things I parsed out of what you're saying. Um, the first of which is kind of a, uh, uh, like generally, you know, language models are getting a longer context, things like alibi attention, you know, the details of how that works, I think maybe irrelevant for the podcast, but like generally we're seeing models that can take 8K, 16K, 32K, and it's like, will alibi attention work its way to embedding models? Maybe if I could quickly get your temperature on that and then we could come back into like multiple facts and maybe, because yeah, we and then we also have like structured graph data. So I think it would be a nice transition to that. But let me quickly take your temperature on like alibi attention. It's clearly, you know, being impactful with Anthropic Cloud and, you know, all these kind of things. Will that kind of thing help embedding models? Definitely not. Um, as, as mentioned, um, <laughs> embeddings only work if you have like one fact uh, in mm. a per text. And there's like not so many texts out there where you say, okay, I have like 8,000 tokens, but it's just, I don't know, repeating Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook. <laughs> um, typically, if you take like an 8,000 token article, let's say from Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook, there's like a lot of information um, about Facebook early, who founded it, early days, nowadays, transitions to Meta and so on, which are like all different facts. And every fact needs like a different embedding. So, so yeah, we can add alibi to it. That's not the issue. But yeah, if, if you input it like full Wikipedia article and then you search on it, um, search quality is, is terrible. Hmm. So, the, so then this brings me back to the metadata extraction thing because identifying facts, isn't that kind of similar in a way? Like, because you, you have to say like, okay, this is one fact, this is two facts in this unstructured text chunk. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of metadata. So, so it's uh, currently like a hack, a trick that gets the things done. So, so it's totally okay in search. Uh, for search for the past 50 years, it always has been like using hacks to, to get things done. Um, challenge is always a bit when you do like this decontextualization, which I mentioned earlier, like our company mm. had the best year, uh, or this was the best year for our company, where you replaced this year with 22nd and company Apple. Um, challenge is there like how much should you decontextualize like how much information should you provide into that um it's kind of like easy for like this really simple one sentence but if you go in uh, like an annual report you have like apple annual report 2020 subsection i don't know europe subsection um i don't know iphone subsection mm -hmm. uh market uh, share of iphone in europe and then you have like some information, like complex information on it. So, so it's like probably a lot of like context information to understand this paragraph. Um, well, then the question like, okay, how much do you include? Do you just include it's Apple 2020? Um, mm -hmm. Or is it, do you also include like all the information where they talk about like a market in Europe for the iPhone with like certain subset of customers? Um, and then it becomes like really, really challenging again to, to find the good trade-off where you say, okay, you have like this one sentence, but to really understand the sentence, you might need like full paragraph or full page of context information. And then the, the question is also like how to embed it where you say, okay, this, this is the sentence and here's like the full context to understand the sentence. Yeah, I, I love that decontextualization. I think that's a wonderful phrase. Uh, like we've seen like disambiguation. I mean, yeah, uh, like one example right now, we know Donald Trump is front of the uh, court, is tried um, due to, and we have like a lot of context information where he was not accepting the last US elections. And yeah, Trump fans were storming uh, US Capitol uh, so, so this is like a lot of context, out of context information where also the question is like, okay, if I index this news article where Donald Trump has mm. is, is trialed in Washington, do I also provide like all these background information um, which led to the trial or not? Yeah, that's because like, um, so you would take like one text chunk that's like, um, Trump fans storm U.S. Capitol, and then maybe you'd want to add to the chunk, like because they believe the election was <laughs> quite a topic. <laughs> maybe find another example, but like, but that kind of thing of it makes me think like about um you know models at data ingestion that again that topic of like the summary index kind of thing, but where you use more models in the process of parsing out your data and building up the index and. Yeah, I think it's all very interesting, but yeah, I think this would be a great transition to talking about uh, graph data. I'm not sure if we're, if, you know, you know, like maybe to transition, like there's kind of two ways that I, I see about thinking about multiple, about organization of facts themselves. You would have like, you know, Nils Reimers works at Cohere and you know, like authored sentence spur and like you have these, re these relations. And then when I just grab the node Nils Reimers, I can really easily parse out all the facts associated but, or you would take each fact, have a natural sentence for it and then embed them and 
search. So I, yeah, I love kind of, I, I don't have a great understanding of when to use which, but <laughs> I think those two. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting. So interesting road ahead of us. So, so I really think search is just at the beginning. Um, current technologies totally fail, as mentioned, if I ask like any search system, um, at which time is my flight going? Um, <laughs> they, they all fail, visibly. Mm. Um, so, so this is like an interesting aspect. Uh, what we need to see in terms of research and industry, um, what innovations come in? Like, like, do we use like these knowledge graphs uh, where we represent facts and say, okay, this is a person. They have like this information in their CV, like past publications, past company engagements and so on. Um, like more in a symbolic way, what do we do like more in like kind of like an abstract way where we keep like a text record and then the, the model is able yet to find the relevant information and quickly, um, yeah, quickly reason about this. And yeah, right now, like finding these disinformation and, and judging is it relevant or not is, is kind of challenging. So, mm. so we all know large language models, they have challenges with hallucination. So, so mm -hmm. if you ask them, uh, what are the symptoms of some fake disease, like a disease I just invented, um, mm. they give you like really compelling writing. What is this disease? What are <laughs> symptoms? What is the treatment? Because LLMs, transformers, they are terrible in not knowing, uh, in knowing that they don't know it. And that's that's basically like the challenge in search line. Mm. You need to decide, is this text providing me the information? Is it answering the question or not? Like at which time is my flight going? Um, so, so here they're like really, really bad at and, and we need yeah, a lot of innovations and breakthroughs in, in this space. Yeah, well, I, I, I do have to like hypothesize that the kind of cross encoder would be really great at that, like at which time is my flight going? And then, well, yeah, hopefully, I mean, and then it kind of retrieves from your calendar. It's kind of like the, it, this whole thing is, our, the way our conversation is evolving is really inspiring me into the whole like retrieval augmented generation as well as like kind of the agents thing. I think the agents thing ties into at which time is my flight going and you've hooked it up to tools like my calendar. And so that, and then like that, that's kind of like, there's all these like models in the middle. I find this topic so fascinating. Cause like they're like, I, I, sorry if this is too much of a tangent, but I like this paper called gorilla quite a lot where gorilla is like a large language model fine tuned to use a particular tool. So like in the case of the calendar, calendars don't have too many APIs, but it's like, how do I format a request to get uh, like Nils Reimers is Friday <laughs> and like get everything to understand when your flight is. But you know, generally, actually, let me kind of just broadly, how, how do you feel about retrieval augmented generation right now? And I mean, it seems to me, obviously, from Weaviate, like this is like, you know, a huge evangelist. I know, you know, Cohere has like the Corral system, Coral system. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a massive topic. Um, so so we have this Coral system, which is like an intelligent enterprise agent. So, so you plug it into your enterprise data, and then you can ask questions like, okay, um, we, we, we have this customer, give me an overview of the customer engagement, where are we, which are the latest topics and blocks um, from this customer. So instead of like you as manager, like pinging the sales rep, um, you get it directly <laughs> from your CRM data. 
So I always have the feeling people put data in, in Salesforce, but yeah, hardly look at it. And instead of like ping people to get a summary, so <laughs> hopefully we, we can change that. So yeah, re retrieval augmented generation is, is, is fascinating. Uh, we have like really strong models here on the one side for search, because um, mm -hmm. this is still a bottleneck. And on the other side, in generation and citation. So, so big issue um, with generative models. If I ask generative model, hey, um, I don't know, what, what's the size of this company? It spits me out like some number, like when I say, okay, what's the revenue of Apple? It gives me some number, but it's, I don't know, is it true or not? And, and I don't know if, if I used to ask like, these generative models, hey, how many students study in, in my university where I did my PhD? Gave me a number, but it was like a bit off, like off by some few thousand uh, students. And that's like really hard to, to, to judge it. And here citations is relevant to say, okay, um, I can go back to the primary source and see, okay, here I got the information. So for example, if I ask the model in an enterprise setting, um, what's the the pricing discount we communicated to that client mm -hmm. you don't want to have like some hallucinated information uh, so, so, so yeah. you don't want to say yeah we we said 30 percent discount <laughs> and then you think okay it's 30 percent discount but actually you just communicated like 10 percent discount um or or is it okay in terms of like legal questions is it okay to use um your software in such a such setting and then the model says, yeah, perfectly good. Uh, but then you say, no, well, how, how can I trust it? And I think here giving mm -hmm. the citation and say, hey, yeah, you can use the, the setting here. And the source is this email from January where we asked those questions. And based on the answer they provided, we think, uh, yeah, you can use the software in the setting. So, so you can verify it as a human if it's actually true or not. Yeah, I think there's so many topics to explore. I mean, the kind of uh, give the citations, I think that's one of the most clear applications, like uh, reasons to do this, like as exciting as LLMs are, the hallucination problem and having being able to look at the search results. There's so many interesting things in that, though, like the the question of what is the size of this company? I've been loving saying this recently is that every WeVA class is jointly a vector index, a JSON index, and as well as an SQL index. We don't have an SQL API, we have an aggregate API. So the syntax is a little different and is a little <laughs> interesting thing of how to interface that. But like you, you, tra you take this, what is the size of this company? And, you know, is that a vector search query? I, personally, I, I think it would be better off translating that to like a, you know, a symbolic aggregate like you know this but then this company that, that clear right <laughs> These yeah, i mean i mean they're the challenges again do you do you have this in like a relational database or aggregate mm -hmm. like like do you have like a column yeah I don't know, let's say employees or revenue mm -hmm. um it's also a bit unspecified size of company do you mean like revenue profit employees <laughs> yeah um in the past it could also be like physical size of the company, like how many square meters is, is the company. Um, and, and here, yeah, I think that that's a challenge with metadata to come back to that. So, so mm -hmm. if you ask like, okay, how many employees work at this company? If you have a column, if you extracted this, it's good. If you just have like the unstructured meta, like unstructured annual reports, mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, it can just look into like and say, okay, finally unstructured meta data. Okay, um, this this is the um, this is the size of the company, like the number of employees of the company. And then where it becomes interesting is um, if you do like combinations of of like inference of information when you say, okay, how many employees does Apple have in Europe? Mm -hmm. So so maybe in your database, you just have like, I don't know, from Bloomberg, you get the data number of employees at Apple, but you don't know like employees in Europe for Apple, but like from unstructured data, like some news article, some annual report, some press release, they mention, okay, we have like, I don't know, 100,000 employees, roughly 30% of these are in Europe. And then you can infer from like these two information mm. nuggets. Okay, Apple, a good estimate is like 30K in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's fascinating, like where, where we need to rethink um, how databases work. And then we will see a lot of innovations going a lot more into like unstructured only because with structured, you would need to think beforehand um, <laughs> that someone will ask like how many employees does Apple have in Europe? And, and this is kind of like a rabbit hole where it says, yeah. <laughs> Could ask like, okay, how many employees are in Germany? How many employees are in France? Mm-hmm. And then it gets like, you you would need to think about this beforehand when you create the metadata and extract the data. Yeah, that, well, all that is why I believe really strongly in kind of the longevity of frameworks like Llama Index, Langchain, like Haystack, Gina is like this kind of, you know, like the sub like self-ask prompting is, a, is kind of like the academic way of like, there's this paper called Neural Databases from James Thorne and others, which is like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you painted the picture perfectly. You decompose the question into like maybe a symbolic question as well as a vector search. And then you later on kind of pull it. And I think that kind of, you know, semantic layer of orchestrating these kind of LLMs and all that will be really interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to stay as sorry to be pivoting the topics, but like when we were talking about retrieval augmented generation a little more and talking about kind of reducing hallucinations as being maybe one of the biggest drivers of this kind of framework. I wanted to get take your temperature on retrieval aware training. This is like, for example, I mentioned the gorilla thing earlier. The way the gorilla thing works is you retrieve the AP, you're you're giving it a natural language command. Like in the example of Weaviata APIs, you'd be like, BM25 search in pod clip, return speaker content. And it will take that natural command and then translate it into the GraphQL that could execute against the Weavia database. So the way this is trained is you retrieve the API reference and that goes in the input alongside the natural command and the schema to, you know, output the GraphQL query. And I, I feel like this kind of retrieval aware training could just be so powerful. I'm curious, like if Cohere is thinking about doing this with the LLM is obviously in the search and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's a big focus. So, so internally and also to alpha customers, we have a really nice rack model um which mm-hmm. which does these uh, so internally in rack versus like query formulation um how do you break up your your your, your query into sub queries execute mm-hmm. on these how do you get the data how do you create like the subset of data that goes into the rack model let's say you have like a query um how, how did the revenue develop for the big five tech companies during COVID? So, so this is not like a single query. So, so if you work with like annual reports of companies, it's not like a single query. Hmm. Um, it's like a set of queries. So you get need to get the, mm. the data for Facebook from 2019, from 22, 
for Google, for, for Amazon and so on. And then you need all to prompt this into the generate model. Um, challenge is with a lot of generating model out there, um, like Llama, OpenAI, and Traffic, they, they have not been trained on this. And, mm. and we trained like extensively on this. Uh, so on the internet, you often see like the final result. So you write the final blog post, but you don't see like the research that went into the, mm. the blog post. Like what were the search queries you formulated? Uh, when you were informing yourself about the model. And so, so this is currently what we're doing. It's like showing the research process, like how does a human search for information, which information do they take into account before formulating the, the response. So bring this capability to the model and then also be able to reference back and say, okay, this, this part of the information I got from this source, this part of information I got from that source. Uh, so here, um, yeah, we, we will see, at least from Cohere, you will see a lot more on foundation model from, from on this. Um, mm. The models like really understand to search, what to search for, mm. how to reference back information. Um, and so it's kind of like a vital, and then, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a going forward. I mean, it's, it's also the shift we saw with humans. Uh, I don't know, when I started to program, um, I still remember people try to memorize like every function you have in C. So, mm -hmm. so like, okay, you, you know, all the, the function names, uh, cause it was like really slow to search. So you had like a big book and then you'll need to go in the back, in the index and see, okay, which function do I use to, I don't know, sleep my process for a second. Uh, <laughs> but th th this really changed was like Google and Stack Overflow where mm. nowadays, yeah. I don't know, there are some functions we always search. Um, like I always search what are like the, the arguments for the sort function Python. And yeah, with, with Copilot, it's also, yeah, less and less knowledge needs to be in our head and, and mm -hmm. we're doing more and more search in the background and then use the search results to, to, to do the next token. And the same will happen with generate model. They, they will learn how to search, and how to take search results into account. So uh, I think the kind of really interesting philosophical thing for me is I remember like, you know, Bob had showed me this notebook from Nick Frost, which was like query formulation. So you take the prompt and you don't just send the prompt to the vector database. You first send the prompt to an LLM to ask it what would be the query for this to, to then query with that and then answer the question that way. And I think kind of for me, it's like, you know, this difference between learning how to search. I think this is kind of... There are a few things to this, but I, like the firstly, there's like how to search with Google search, like Bing API, SERP API, and like kind of like the web GPT search actions where you just kind of think about like what query to send, maybe like next page of results versus kind of the gorilla thing, which is like how to particularly use the APIs of like Weaviate and these search databases, vector database search engines, like <laughs> phrase you want to use. And then I think there's also this kind of really, really interesting emerging category of like... Um, end-to-end -end rag where you would maybe put gradients from the reader back to the encoder and it so it's kind of learning it in a very neural way like no none of the symbolic layers of either the bing api or the weaviate api but it's just going kind of and it still would you kind of use weaviate to have to store the vector embeddings from the encoder even if it's learned end-to-end -end. so kind of these three things that hopefully that's a not too ambiguous of a question yeah. but like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the final one, this end-to-end, -end, um, it's it's interesting, but really, really challenging. I mean, there, there was this original retro paper, mm. which had like retrieval 
um, within the pre-training of the model. So, so before it predicts like the next token, the missing token, it looks into like a massive vector database to find like similar text. Um, people were extremely excited about that at that time, <laughs> but <laughs> it feels like there's like basically zero follow-up. Mm. So I haven't seen anyone like reproduce or, or work on it. Um, plus the challenge is, um, in, in these settings, you, you make it like often like too easy. So, so in your text, you have like a lot of duplicates. And then uh, the question challenges mm. is um, when you ask like, okay, what's, what's VV8? And then mm. it retrieves the information. Mm. There's a similar text, um, like a new duplicate for the model. It's like really, really easy to just copy paste the words from, from there. So, so you don't get like any reasoning world knowledge into the model um, if, if you're not extremely careful. So you have to control like how good is the search quality if it always finds like an exact duplicate of the text you mm -hmm. currently do next token prediction on, it, it will not learn anything just like, yeah, do, do predict the next token uh, or copy the, the token from the search results. And um, that's a challenge. Other challenges, engineering-wise, end-to-end um, means you have yeah many moving parts which you need to 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 fix, and it's like really hard to to improve up on individual parts. Let's say mm. um, if you have an end-to-end -end system, and and you see okay, search quality is not great. Um, cause it doesn't take like recency popularity into account. Let's say you do like search over news. You ask, okay, give me in insights about the US president's elections and then gets like information from 20 years ago. In an end-to-end -end system, you can't go in and fix this one system and say, okay, make the search results better mm. <clears throat> or make the generative better. It's always like, if you want to fix one thing, you have to work on the whole pipeline, search and generate, like search and uh, generation, search and generate. Mm -hmm. And this makes it like really nightmare to, to work on enhance. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. I think, yeah, yeah, and I, I guess the only, yeah, with the rag end to end thing, I'm not sure really where my sentiment is at on now, and I don't want to put out like a bold, <laughs> too, too strong opinion yet. But I mean, what you mentioned about kind of parsing out the search results, this kind of brings us to our original top. This is why I'm so excited about the Cohere re-rankers is like, you know, I read that paper lost in the middle. That's about how you can't just give it like 20 search results and expect it to find the answer in the 20. And that's why I think the re-ranking, having that top one, is just going to be so powerful and yeah kind of you, me you mentioned retro and i i would love to get like to dig it a little further with you is that i so retro is the idea where instead of retrieving to put it in the input so like you retrieve text put the retrieve text in the text input and then transformer you would retrieve the embeddings and then you put that in layer like eight out of 12 in the transformer and i'm not sure i exactly understand the math but i think it's something like you know, in that you can like transpose the 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 key and that query key value kind of attention multiplication such that by retrieving the way that you can you can put like a thousand embedding, so you can put like a gigantic amount of memory kind of in the middle of the transformer. So so yeah, like I, I'm not sure. Like um, I think the question is like, is that maybe a better way to do long context? I think might be a way of thinking about it. 
Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> yeah no, challenging to to make predictions. Um, I mean, yeah, long, long context. Um, I mean, yeah, we 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 had these memory networks. They were really popular in twenty fifteen. Mm. There's LSTMs, so there was like a big <laughs> hype on memory networks and, and putting <laughs> stuff in memory and, and scaling memory, which also didn't show to, to be realistic. Mm. Um, so I think kind of, yeah, we, we, we need a mixture. So, so in LLM pre-training, having like on the one side, like close book is good. So, so it's the same with, with let's say, students. Um, if if we're educating, teaching people how to program, um, it's good to have like some sometimes like close books um, mm -hmm. task to say, okay, here's a function. I don't know, read in a CSV file, transform the data, write out a JSON mm -hmm. um, without looking at Stack Overflow programming references mm -hmm. or I don't know, asking Copilot to do this. So so this really helps students to learn, understand concepts. And to memorize, and it also makes sense in other settings to say, yeah, you can use Stack Overflow or, or Python references to, to look for it. Uh, you can use Stack Overflow for it to, to look for solutions. Um, but yeah, in, in general, for for many settings nowadays, like really hard to find examples to say, okay, if if you give a task like um, I don't know, give give me all the prime numbers between one and one hundred. Mm -hmm. um, as an exercise to students, yeah, people put it into Google, find it on Stack Overflow, or ask an LLM and get the mm -hmm. code. But it's not really preventing them from learning. Mm. So, so I think for LLMs, we need something similar. Something need to be close book. Say, so, okay, here you don't have like zero uh, references. Like, like, let's say coding. Write me, find me all prime numbers between one and one hundred, and print them as a list. Um, do this as close book, do like another step where you say, okay, you're allowed to search Python um, references. So, so here's like the Python reference handbook. And I give you like some hints and say, okay, these functions can be helpful. Or make it like really um, like, yeah, allow to use everything and say, okay, mm -hmm. you're you're allowed to use all the Google or Stack Overflow, <laughs> but then um, yeah, model mostly goes in and says, yeah, I just copy the, the results. <laughs> so here you as a teacher need to be like really good and creative and find tasks um, where there's not a solution yet. Um, so that the, the student, be it like a human or be it like an LM, still is able to learn something. Mm. Uh, I love that. That I always love these like deep learning training algorithms that are inspired by human learning. I've never before that thought about the distinction between when you learn something, when you learn better by having it be closed book versus open book. It's extremely interesting and novel thing I've never heard before. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, it's just really interesting. I love like curriculum learning. And I kind of think generally the interesting thing is kind of the extensibility of rags sort of like you know right now the way we do rags with llms is you know the llms are trained with language modeling but we just augment the input data and it works that way and i think with retro there's another paper called memorizing transformers that shows we can and i think retro is like you can retrofit i think that's like what the name means that you could take an existing llm and extend it with that layer eight attention so 
Yeah, that's all super interesting. So yeah, also, so I think kind of an anchoring podcast is you tease that maybe you had a bit of an announcement, but not too much. And if we could talk about this kind of, I think we've already sort of talked about it a bit in the podcast, but this kind of foundation model for search. Yeah, so um, as mentioned, search still has many challenges, uh, long documents, temporal information, multiple fields, multimodality, uh, <laughs> popularity, recency. So, so yeah, my team is currently working on like a new foundation model for search to, to really address all these aspects. And yes, yeah, it looks really cool. Uh, so, <laughs> so looking forward to talk a bit more on this in the future. But really, yeah, we, we want to, tackle most of these problems. Uh, so hmm. obviously there will be challenges going forward, but we hope to, to do like a leapfrog <laughs> jump like in, in this this space. And yeah, stay tuned for, for more announcements on that. Yeah, that, that's of course so exciting. And I, I, I really want to also ask about kind of, you know, like I think Cohere offers fine tuning embedding models and I guess kind of my thinking about how fine tuning works generally is that the better the foundation model, the more effective fine tuning. And then there are all these questions about like, what are you paying for? Like some kind of guarantee of model performance. Do you, should you get to have the weights or just like have the API host, all these kind of questions. And so I'm curious, like with new foundation model for search, and then, you know, will that be able to cut, will you not even need fine tuning? Cause I also feel like kind of the sentiment on fine tuning is like, some, some people hate it. Some people love it. When I talk yeah. About it. Yeah. Um, yeah, in general, I think yeah, we, we, we try to get away with as little fine tuning as possible. So, mm -hmm. so fine tuning always in the past means you need a lot of data and yeah, no <laughs> one wants to, to create like a lot of data. Um, <clears throat> So, so for example, we had like one customer says, okay, we, we love search results that contain a table because tables are really relevant for our users. Mm. So like a markdown table, mm. um, how can we get them at position one? And, and <laughs> with fine tuning, it would be like embedding models. Yeah. Annotate 10,000 examples where you search for, where you have like two results, both are relevant, mm. but the one with the table should be more relevant and then fine tune the model. Where obviously they say, yeah, no, we are sorry, we're not Google, we're not able to create like these 10,000 examples. Mm. So so one, one way is how can we put it into the foundation model that we give like these instructions for search and say, okay, um, if you find two results, both are on the topic, prefer the one with the markdown table or in podcast, um, first check is, is the content relevant to the search query and then um, prefer like recent podcasts and popular podcasts over non-recent, non-popular podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, and the other aspect is like, how can we still include these preferences or, or get the preferences quite quickly and encode it in the model? Um, because preferences can be different depending on the company. So, so a new search, you extremely care about recency. If you're running an archive, you <laughs> say, okay, here like historic news articles, you don't care so much about yeah, recency. Um, recency can change on users. Uh, some users say, okay, I'll just listen to podcasts at most a month old. So I'll say, no, it's super interesting to also listen to podcasts 10 years old can depend on the setting like in sports yeah no one listens to like 10 years old spot podcast focus on sports 
Mm-hmm. Um, but in other, like let's say art, um, I don't know, true crime, you say, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter if the podcast is like 10 years old or one mm-hmm. month old. It's, mm-hmm. it's still true crime. It's a nice story. Um, <laughs> yeah, I care more about like popularity and then mm-hmm. is there like a good personal fit. And so this, this is like going forward big, your working block for us. Um, how can we enable non-expert users to, to really steer the model? First approach is with the prompting that you are, have like some easy way to communicate it. And then going by your prompting, have efficient ways where you show like 50 examples, 100 examples. And then based on these 100 examples, um, the model is able to, to understand you. Mm. Yeah, I think that's always been the goal of deep learning is try to learn with as few examples as possible because of the painstaking effort of collecting big data sets. I love that kind of maybe language models could generate synthetic queries from your documents if all you have is documents of that angle. I, I love, I mean, I think it's been one of our number one topics throughout this whole podcast is how do I boost based on does it contain a markdown table? And, you know, maybe the, again, the ranking models could take that kind of prompt of like, please, if it has a markdown table, or if you've extracted that metadata where you have like a contains markdown table true and, you know, you promote those results. So, so yeah, all of it, it, it sounds so exciting. Nils, thank you so much for joining the WeVA podcast. It's, you know, so, so great for me to learn about how you're thinking about all these things. I'm sure all our listeners will love this. And yeah, th- thank you to our listeners and everyone at the WeVA team that enables me to have conversations like this. This really helps my education and knowledge of deep learning and search. Nils, thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much.